Hello, listeners. This is Ben and Chris here at the top of the show with a really important announcement. Now, Ben, you know, there's something really big going on that listeners are not going to hear in this episode. And if we were just to put this episode out, like Ben likes to say, you would all be shouting at us on the bus, punching your steering wheels. Why haven't you talked about this thing? So what, Ben, like two weeks after we recorded this episode? Accurate. Joel has the audacity to announce another Kickstarter campaign. Didn't consult us first. Didn't check in with us to see how our editing was going, but very exciting. Ben, what are they doing with this campaign? Well, if you want all the details, you just go to makemoremst3k.com. But Mystery Science Theater 3000 is launching another Kickstarter to not only do a whole nother season of MST3K. Who are they saying goodbye to, Ben? They're saying adios, Netflixos. We've had enough of your flixing of the net. We're going to blast off on the satellite love, and we're going to create our own platform called the Gizmoplex. Yeah, so they're really saying adios any network ever. Yeah. Take your distribution, take your nonsense. We said good day. No more tiny local Wisconsin TV station. No (laughs) more Comedy Central. No more sci-fi. We're doing this on our own. Right. It's very exciting. It's ambitious. They're looking great on the fundraising. They've got about 10 days to go from today. They have over 19,000 backers so far. So there's a lot of good momentum on it. And you could be a part of making the Gizmoplex dream come true. Yeah, because they've already funded. They only had a modest $2 million goal, which they're already, uh, as of this recording, at about $3.4 million. But there's plenty of space to go because if more people donate, then they get to make more episodes and get different kind of streaming options. So if you're listening to this before May 7th in the year 2021, hop onto that Kickstarter, go to that website. MakeMoreMST3K.com. And I'm wondering, I just wanted to ask, have you decided what you're going to do with the money they paid us to plug their Kickstarter? Oh, we didn't get any money. Remember, this is a non-money-making <laughs> podcast. That's true. We are 100% non hold, hold on. Let me put these gold doubloons down for a second. Hold <laughs> ching, on for a second. Ching, 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 ching. Again, if you're listening and it's still before that date and you want to go fund them, go check it out. Drop them some cash. Or if it's like way after May 7th, maybe you can just go download the app and start watching now. But please finish our show first. We beg you. It's perfect. That's great. So with that, please enjoy our discussion of Mystery Science Theater 3000. In the not too distant future. Oh, yeah. Take a look on back a few decades past to a simpler time to be. When your kids were tied to a phone call ride And the next show on TV So crank on up your boombox jams And flip your tape to the B-side We're going back to class on this podcast Back to the 80s High Last time on 80s High I was inspired by one of my favorite theme songs of all time to come into my head. Okay. In the not-too-distant future, (laughs) next Sunday AD. (laughs) Next time on 80s High, we're going to the Satellite of Love to go to one of the greatest series of all time to mock film horror tragedies oh my god mystery science theater 3000 we're talking like c movies they're not even (laughs) not even b movies no We got podcast sign. We got podcast sign. Roop, roop. 
That's right, everybody. You heard podcast sign. Welcome back to 80s High, the podcast that travels nearly three decades back in time. No, more than three decades back in time. Feels like three decades to already. Revisit the best Ugh. parts of the 1980s. The music, the we movies. We didn't want to visit it the first time. The hair, the style, the food and the snacks, everything that made it completely radical. And we are your hosts. I'm Ben. And I'm Chris. And this is 80s High. 80s. Hi. I want to check in. Are you calling in tonight from a bunker from today's weather? A bunker. We had quite the little uh, weather event. The Pacific Northwest is not ready for this kind of weather. No, I don't know what happened out in your neck of the woods. It was gray, and then we had a blue sky, yes. and then it yeah. rained, and then there was yeah. hail. Yes. Then there was thunder, yes. and then there was a blue sky again. Mm-hmm. It was insane. Yeah. My venture down pop culture this week. So on Amazon Prime, they added Cool World. Did you ever watch Cool World? No, but it's sort of like if they took Who Framed Roger Rabbit and then they did it in the 90s? Is it 90s? That is perfect. That is a great description. Is it Brad Pitt? It's Brad Pitt. Wow. And you said 90s because like as I'm watching it, it definitely makes me nostalgic for like the MTV cartoons of that time. The cartoon style like The Max or Aeon Flux like – those like adult mm. cartoons at that time. Yeah. So I'm watching it concurrently with Roger Rabbit, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is a masterpiece. Wait, like on two screens, you've got That's them like- That's a great idea. I should. I should. <laughs> side by I side, should. shot no, for no, shot like, comparison. I'm like going back and forth every night for, you know, like I'll watch for like half an hour and then I'll go to sleep. But to watch like what Bob Hoskins did without characters around him, and then to watch what Brad Pitt did, mm. man, Bob Hoskins was a legend. So good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that movie. We'll have to revisit that. I have not seen that movie in forever. Oh my god, it's super fun. But speaking of having non-humanoid companions. Oh, segue, man. (laughs) I'm wondering if we should find out what activities are after school today and then head on to history class. Yeah, let's find out what this day is going to bring for us. Attention, 80s high. I'm Bryson, and I'm here to share today's homeroom announcements. If you enjoy the sadistic pleasure of imprisoning your friends and loved one to watch great B-movies, follow 80s High Podcast on Instagram. Better yet, if you enjoy strange and quirky projects like crafting theoretical sentient robot companions or riffing with your friends, consider joining Class of 80s High where you can vote on future episodes or lend your voice and commentary. All mads welcome. To join, email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com. That's 80s. Today's lunch menu will be dead sushi. Don't be an ass and ask for the live stuff, or you'll be eating crow. After school today, the antimatter space buzzards are holding their annual wake meeting in the school's photography dark room. If you don't like perching silently in a weirdly dark room, then join the rest of us in the daylight to cheer on the school's concrete canoe club. Thank you, and have a gnarly day. Go Mogwais! I mean, that was all amazing. I kind of want to join all the after-school activities. However, we have so much to cover in this episode. I feel like you and I might have been kindred spirits. Were you an after-school event and club collector like no. I was? No. I actually was not. Really? I was, get me out of here. Oh get my me God. home. Get me to my own personal business. I hate I all these I have given people. you enough hours of my day. <laughs> this is Chris time. No Thank you. I had very few extracurricular activities. Wow. See, I I was like, Mr. Like, that's when they were telling you, like, if you want to get into a good college, you got to do a lot of extracurriculars. And I was like, okay. Well, even if they said, Ben, 
extracurriculars are bad for you, I think it's pretty fair to say that little Ben would have still been in like 50 activities. No, totally. I would have been like, hold my ecto slime cooler and watch what I can do. Right. To go to the future, one might say the year 3000, we must first go to the past, which we find in history class. This is poetic. Let's go. I was so excited by this topic because this is generally one of my all-time favorite TV shows, mm. but I never delved into the history of it. I just appreciated it for what it was, yeah. and so I was so excited to learn where it came from. And now a bit of the magic is gone, because now I know more of the magic. Peeked behind the curtain, man. I should have done it. You saw the clockwork. But in a way, I appreciate it that much more. Sure. So before we delve into this, would you do us the kindness of tickling the hammer, the anvil, the stirrup, and the cochleas of our listening audience and tell us what was Mystery Science Theater 3000? Is this anatomy class? Are we talking about the human (laughs) ear today? (laughs) Look, Joel had to build creatures from scratch. I'm getting into the anatomy. (sighs) How do you conceptualize this show? Okay. So the frame story is that there is this guy who was shot into space on this satellite. It was a TV show. Should we just... I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. All right. Gosh, you're right. All right. All right. (laughs) It's a television show. I didn't want people to be worried that a real person was shot into orbit. Nobody thinks that. So a human astronaut was sent up to Sputnik (laughs) in the 80s and... (laughs) Nobody thinks that. Nobody thinks that. Okay. So television show, comedy in which... The frame story is there is this guy, Joel, who shot up into space on the satellite of love by these two mad scientists who are going to subject him to these terrible movies and study the effects. That's as much as I can understand from this frame story. Mm -hmm. And Joel takes it upon himself to create these robotic companions to help him survive and make fun of the movie. And so they watch these terrible movies, B-movies, often sci-fi, often like old school 50s, 60s. They mock them, we laugh, and that's about it. Sometimes at the there's little skits in between where they do like an intermission, they leave and they'll do like a fun conversation or they'll mock it in sort of real life, if you will. Or sometimes they do an invention exchange, which is just them and the mads making up goofy stuff. Yeah, that's perfect. Anything else? Did I miss anything? No, those are all the essential components. That's a hard thing because you're talking about a TV show with a frame story right. that then has a movie that they're watching in, inside right. of it. This is a nesting doll. It's almost like if you just wanted to do a podcast about 80s pop culture, but someone insisted that there had to be a thematic structure around it to do so. Uh, for instance. <laughs> I don't know who would do such a thing to themselves. What monster would do it? True mad scientists. And we even talked before we started rolling. I love a good origin story. And Joel Hodgson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which, to save my tongue, I'm just going to call MST3K for the rest of the episode. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Good call. Joel has done a bunch of interviews over the years since he invented this. And if you piece all those interviews together, you get a really clear story on the creative influences that Joel took to make this totally unique thing. And I loved digging those up to be like, oh, this is where he pulled that from and this from. So I've got that. Mm -hmm. Here's where we're going to go. A lot of what Joel spilled, we'll put this in the show notes, uh, he, the, the whole original cast in May 2012 was at Archon 32, an annual convention in St. Louis, 
where they showed the pilot episode that they pitched to the TV station to make it happen. And yeah. in that, they tell the whole story of the creation. Uh, and the movie they did was The Green Slime, um, yeah. which they never aired, but it was an epic story. So let's get into it. Joel, mid-80s, was doing comedy in Los Angeles, stand-up comedy, where he appeared on both SNL and David Letterman. That's good. Which I never you made s- it. I never heard that. Did you watch the clips? Until this, I did not even know he did stand-up comedy. Yeah. And I didn't actually catch any of it, so... He has a very, an extremely dry, deadpan delivery. Very much so. Uh, and he was doing a lot of prop comedy. Not as sort of, like, grotesque as, like, Carrot Top. I was gonna say, he's like a sedated Carrot Top. He's, yes, he's a very... <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. Very dry. <laughs> and in both clips, I watched the SNL clip, and I watched the Letterman clip, and it actually was the exact... He did the exact same bit, at least for the first three or four jokes. And then I was sure. like, all right, I've seen this. But anyway, so he's doing this deadpan, sort of innocent, very sweet prop comedy he gets a little jaded with uh hollywood so he moves back to los angeles and so he was in this writing group and the writing group he's trying to think of like what to do fun shows radio shows movies whatever so one night he's watching the movie the omega man in 1971 starring charleston heston and it's this post-apocalyptic film which is actually based on the novel i am legend oh yes the will smith i am legend the same one Right. And so he's watching this movie, and there's a scene where Heston is watching an old film reel of the Woodstock Festival, and Heston is talking to the screen about life back then. Hmm. And Joel had this idea for a TV series called You Are Here, where he would be the last man on Earth after catastrophe, and he was going to make this companion, Rex the Robot, and they're just broadcasting out into ether, like, looking for people. KTMA, which was a TV station in Minneapolis, the production manager named Jim Mallon, and this name's going to come up a lot. Uh, approached Joel to do a competitive stand-up comic show because he heard he was a stand-up comic in LA. You know, let's get something like that going on here in Minneapolis. Joel was not interested because I just talked. He was jaded with the whole stand-up comedy thing. Didn't want to do it anymore. But Joel was like, Jim has access to a TV studio. Hmm. And I'm working on this idea. Two and two together. Right. So he's like, let me polish this. I want to make this a little more fun. So he's like, okay, it's a little too dark at being post-apocalyptic and everyone's dead. So he loved another post-apocalyptic movie in 1972 called Silent Running, which is where the survivors of Earth are all in these greenhouse geodesic domes that are attached to spaceships orbiting Saturn. And the main ship in this movie has three robots that are service robots made out of found parts that you can like recognize in the movie. You're like, that's a vacuum cleaner. Right. Um, that, that are sort of like main characters in this. And he's like, okay, wait a second. The robots on a spaceship around Earth. So it's all starting to come together. Uh, Simpsons was big then, and Dana Gould had coined the term riff. Uh, riff also comes from like jazz, like improv, like just like riffing on a, on some bars. So then on top of that, Hodgson looks back and he remembered his college roommate had this book called The Golden Turkey Awards, which is a collection of like the worst movies ever made. And he was always like, Is this like the Razzies kind of a thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's like, how has no one ever done any kind of program about these, what he calls adorably weird movies? Mm. So this is real deep pull. Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album. In the liner notes, there's a song, I've seen that movie too. And the art, which is drawn by Mike Ross, has silhouettes of two people in a theater watching a movie. Mm. Mm -hmm. He's like, neat. I remember seeing this visual yes. in one of the clips I watched. Yep. Yeah. We will put this on Instagram this week while this episode's out so you can see what this looks like. So he's like, all right, we've got the theater. We've got post-apocalypse. Oh, we've got space orbiting robots, these cute movies. The show's name came from the promotional phrase, mystery scientist, used by magician Harlan Tarbell, and a play on the name of Sun Ra's band. He's into Sun Ra at the time a lot. 
the Myth Science Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Looking at the rest of the cast, Dr. Forrester was named after the main character in The War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. The Satellite of Love, the ship that they're all on in orbit, is named after the song of the same name by Lou Reed. One of his companions, Crow T. Robot, the Golden One, is inspired by the song Crow from Jim Carroll's Catholic Boy. While Rocket Number no. Nine's name was inspired by the original name of Sun Ra's album, Interstellar Lowways. I told you Sun Ra would come in again. He loves Sun Ra. So he mixes all this together and he pitches the concept, which is 90% of what we know it today. He pitches it to Jim Mallon, his producer friend of the TV station. Two of his writing buddies, Trace Below and J. Josh Elvis from that writing group that I said he was in. And they're like, it's so crazy, it just might work. So you know, he's a prop guy, right? He makes all these props. So he's up. He yeah. literally pulls an all-nighter to make the first three robots for the pilot they're going to do, which includes Gypsy, Crow, and did you watch the pilot? The one that they showed at the festival? Yeah. No, I watched the episode. I guess it's episode 00, technically. I watched okay. zero, 01 and zero, yeah, 02. Yeah, yeah. So in the pilot, there's Gypsy, Crow, and Beeper. They have not made Tom Servo yet. Right. And Gypsy originally is just kind of like a, I don't know what's wrong with Gypsy. Uh, I referred to Gypsy as a pterodactyl. Like Gypsy just screeches. Yeah, and like grunts and There's like, no words. It's because right. I used to like, hi, Mark, or, you know, that right, kind of exactly. voice or whatever. And it was really like, like, that's it. It's weird. It sounds like a cracked out pterodactyl. <laughs> cracked out pterodactyl. That's perfect. Well, I'm glad it's a perfect segue. Because because they did a lot of crack. Because <laughs> Trace, it was the eighties. It was the eighties. Um, so Trace, Trace Below plays Crow, and he says Crow was considered to be a robotic Groucho Marx. Yeah, which I think comes through pretty clearly. Yeah. Um, later, when Tom Servo is introduced, who's played by a guy uh, last name Weinstein, as a smarmy AM radio DJ, which I think is still very accurate for like Tom Absolutely. Servo. So good. And then the later edition of Gypsy is modeled actually after. Um, Jim Mallon, the producer, mm. modeled after his mother, who, as he said, had a heart of gold, but would become disoriented when confronted with a difficult task. <laughs> so, as you, as you said, they're watching the movie, and their silhouettes are in the bottom. Joel coined a term Shadow-Rama to describe what this is. Mm. So, the seats are black-painted foam coreboard sitting behind the seats towards the camera for the host. And uh, there are stages beneath that coreboard for the puppeteers. The human hosts, uh, Joel, Mike, whoever, wore black clothing while the robot puppets were painted black. The screen they watched was a white Luma key screen as to create the appearance of silhouettes, and they watched it on another screen down below so they could, like, follow the movie. So that created the whole theater illusion. Right. The door sequence was created to transition from the host segments, what you talked about, the invention exchange, making jokes about the movie to the theater. Right. Which Hodgson said he took inspiration from the Mickey Mouse Club. Hmm. For some reason, the door sequence is, like, just so big to me. I, I... Find it so creative. They're it's so very fun. charming. It's so good. And last but not least, the shape of the satellite of love. Can you picture their ship? It looks like a like a dog bone, kind of. It looks very much like a bow, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Is there another very famous space sci-fi movie in which a bone is prominently featured? I feel like it is, and I don't know what it is. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay, never seen it. Begins with like a bunch of ape creatures who encounter a big black rectangle on the planet and they're smashing a bone and they throw uh, the bone in the air and the bone transitions to be the ship in 2001 space odyssey ah uh, that is where the satellite of love comes from 
uh, Joel thought it was really funny to tease a lot of the writers in the 80s. So in the 80s, there was a lot of stuff that they were just attaching 2000 to the back of. So like uh, Lawnmower 2000, right. uh, you know, Orange Juicer 2000. He's like, well, the next step has got to be 3000. So that's why he called it Mr. Science Theater 3000. Just Makes take sense. It, take it to the next level. Get ahead of the curve, man. All was that to say that brings us up to the pilot episode. Mm. TV 23 Productions, Channel 2, KTMA, now WUCW, or the CW 23 in the Twin Cities. Pilot came out October 3rd, 1988, but the first episode right after Thanksgiving, November 24th, 1988. Mm-hmm. I know you, I know Big, I know a lot of these properties just despise marketing. <laughs> But they did market research because at the end of the show, they would put up a phone number so people could call in and say if they liked or hated the show, which I thought was great. It's just like how now we have a phone number for 80s high. People can call and leave their 80s messages. That's right. No one's called yet. We're standing by. Operators are standing by for your call today. You just ring in when you're ready to tell us what you think. 80s hotline. I love it. So this is going to come back. So 89, so 8 premiered November 88 and 89, Hashin goes to a local open mic stand-up sees Mike Nelson perform, and invites Mike Nelson to come be a writer. Yeah. So in less than a year, that Minneapolis TV station went bankrupt. HBO is shopping around, getting ready to launch. I never knew this. Comedy Central belongs to HBO. Oh, okay. HBO's getting ready to launch Comedy Central, and they're like, we need a lineup of comedy shows to get this new channel off the ground. They had found MST3K, and they bought it to be in the initial lineup. Right. Now we're going to go into the 90s, which I thought you would appreciate on this episode of 80s High because I'm being flexible. Because this is much like much you're like t- my- You're talking about the 90s in history class. This exactly. is a first for Mr. Ben. Much like myself, born in the 80s, but hit the stride in the 90s. Okay. Is just like MST3K. Um, I'll allow it. He'll allow it. Be Please proceed. Here. Please. <laughs> Wait. Oh, I'm like the judge. Hold on. I'll allow it, but watch yourself, counsel. <laughs> watch yourself. Oh, yes, Judge. Um, so here, so when it made the transition to Comedy Central, a lot changed. So this is where the plot comes in that you talked about. And when you hear the theme song, it the theme song tells the story of what happens in space, makes the robots, the mads, experiments, all that. That's when that whole plot comes through. Frank Conniff, who plays TV's Frank, one of the two mads, the kind of dumb henchman mad. Yeah. In an interview, he explained that a lot of the cast would watch around 20 films in their entirety before picking the one to do. Yeah. And then later on, a lot of the cast talks about like, you watch the the movie once, and then you watch it a second time with all the writers to figure out where all the good jokes are. And then you certainly watch it a third time for the taping. Can you, I'm sorry, can you imagine going through these I mean, the ones they pick are terrible. Imagine the yeah. ones they reject. Right. And you have to watch the whole thing. There are 19 movies that you can't even make jokes about. They're so oh. bad that you watched. Oh, my goodness. That's so much content to consume. And oh terrible content. Oh, my God. I do not envy those writers one darn bit. And so every episode's like 90 minutes on average. This is, not, this is such a fun statistic I really wanted to include in the show. What do you think the average range of riffs is per movie? How many jokes do you think they make in 90 minutes? Well, if it's the preseason, it's like five jokes in the whole episode. Yeah, we're going to get to – we got to talk about that. We are going to talk about that. Um, 
Comedy Central, hitting their stride. So full disclosure, I think I saw this number. Oh, okay, okay. And it's higher than I expected. Isn't it somewhere between two and 400? No, it's between six and 800. That's insane. Now, understandably, in 90 minutes of 80s high, we make upwards of 2,000 jokes. So like, I get- Easily. Easily. Well, 3,000. Yeah, for sure. Well, 80s we high 3,000, right? Yeah, 3,000 <laughs> what this is going to be. So, but you know, you got to respect where we got the inspiration from. Obviously. Joel has been really, really adamant in a lot of interviews that the writers tried to remain uh, maintain respect for the films and avoided making negative riffs about the movies. Right. They're trying to take into consideration that uh, Joel and the cast are companions of the audience watching the movie and they didn't want to come off sounding like jerks. They're not really mocking or making fun of the movies or like disparaging them. And that's often how I think the show is conceptualized. Like, oh, they're just, you know, making fun, trashing these movies. And they're really not. Like, if you look at it, they're not. They're playing around with it, but they're not actually like, this movie's terrible. Like, that's not the underlying thing. Exactly. And and Joel has said um, he's always viewed it as like a variety show built on the back of a movie. Like they're really the movie is really the star, and they're just trying to do some stuff around it. Right now, I'm not going to get in. This could be really boring and really long, so I'm not going to get into it. But the reactions of people involved in the movies of which they riff are very wide and different. To I people imagine. publicly stating they're going to hunt down and, and beat them to death. Right, I will murder to being you. like. That's hilarious. Please invite me. I'd like to come make fun of the next I'm going to be on a future episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Actually, no, because it will be solved because I'm going to murder you. And because it's me. So. I'm the murderer. <laughs> um, no, it's so good. So in that in that first year where, you know, 91 on Comedy Central, they did a 30-hour marathon that became Turkey Day, which is a big tradition. Now, every year since, they always do a 30-hour riffing marathon from the audience. Question in the back. Okay. I see a hand, hand raised. Hand was raised, yeah. Isn't a day... 24 hours? It's a great question. I did not find exactly at what hour they begin. Uh, but it <laughs> They're using the term hours. day apparently very liberally. Look, when you're in orbit around the Earth, a day is a little bit longer since you're farther from the core of the Earth. So it's, that's a fair I think point. it's 30 hours when you're in Maybe orbit? that's what it takes to actually, maybe they're geniuses and that's what it would take to make a full... I mean, that's right out of my robo. Rotation? But, but revolution? I, yeah. Whatever the word is. It's a rotational revolution. Oscillation? J. Elvis, one of the original voice actors and writers, left right after the first season because now it was scripted. And as you can probably tell, and we'll get into again, in the original Minneapolis version, I mean, it was improv. And this guy really wanted to stick to the improv nature of it. Yeah, exactly. How many jokes can you make when it's improv? I'm going to guess not six to eight hundred quality jokes. Right. And J. Elvis thought like it's just hurting the the purity of the show. So here's where we get into a little a little bit of scandal. And I've always known this on the periphery, but I never had the deets. And so I finally got to dig into it. Hot goss. You heard it here first, folks. Hot 80s goss. Here we go. Um, so as we've referenced, the host changed. In kind of the height of Comedy Central popularity – from Joel Hodgson to Mike Nelson, the writer we mentioned. Season five, hired. right? Was it season five? Yeah, very good. Season five. Like halfway through, too. It wasn't even like at the beginning. It was just like, all right, peace. I feel like it's always very controversial when that happens. Can you think of any other TV shows where like they switched a star and people were like, wait, what? Well, so the famous one is I Dream of Jeannie. The Darren's changed. Yeah, right. Star Trek Next Generation character left. Oh, Tasha Yar, early on, right? Yeah, early Tasha on, Yar. like season two, I think. Right. Um, but that's more of a like ensemble cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's more common. It's pretty rare, and right. especially if it is shrouded in a little bit of mm. question mark, right? Oh yeah. 
which often they can be like, sometimes there's a lot of speculation and you don't find out until maybe decades later what actually went down. Exactly. Um, you know, I always think of, again, born in the eighties, thrived in the nineties, Mulder and Scully on the X-Files where David Duchovny leaves the X-Files. Did he? For the last like couple of seasons, I think. Really? I didn't realize that. And they bring in a totally, the dude who plays, um, the T2000 in Terminator 2. I forget that actor's name. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he comes in as like the new partner. And I was like, what? That's right. So MST3K. One year it's Joel, and then the next year it's Mike with the robots. And, and not like, just the head actor, on. the creator. Yeah, right. That's the thing, too. This is the creator. This is like right. the creator being, not fired, but, you know, like a creator leaving their own show. That's yeah. huge. It's massive. So I finally did a lot of digging, and I'll admit Joel has been really diplomatic in all sure. of his interviews. He's been pretty cool and not throwing a lot of shade on what went down, but it comes down to some pretty aggressive creative differences with Jim Mallon. The TV producer in Minneapolis, who then Joel and Jim created a, a small company called Best Brains Incorporated, that kind of was the property around MST3K. Right. He said that he had been fighting with Jim all the time over creative choices in the show. And it was actually starting to make Joel resent Mystery Science Theater 3000, his own baby. He said, like, he didn't want to go out on the show hating the show. He could feel it creeping in. He wasn't going to get it to be exactly what he wanted to keep it what he wanted. And so he was worried that the show was just going to straight up die if he stayed on because he was going to hate it every time he was writing it and on stage. Right. He also hated the idea of the movie, which was Malin's idea. And Malin insisted on there being the full length feature film in 1996. That's right. And so with all that, Joel was like, mic drop, I'm out. Literally mic drop. I was going to say, was that intentional? Because that was it's not a intentional. Little mic drop. A little mic drop. So in the last season that Joel was on, there's this office temp, Mike Nelson, who helps Joel escape the satellite of love. But then, of course, the Mads are all angry, so they capture Mike and now force Mike into the exact same experiments that they had Joel doing. He was indeed not the first consideration. They did a casting call. They did? And looked around. Yeah, so they actually looked for other hosts. And then eventually it was thought, like, if you bring someone in from the outside, they don't have a lot of the intimate knowledge of how the show and the set and just everything works together. And so I don't know exactly how it happened, but ultimately that's how Mike was selected. But it wasn't just like, Joel's gone. Hey, Mike, do you want to fill in? It wasn't that (laughs) simple. Or, hey, guys, I want the job. I mean, maybe he did want it, but it wasn't just a quick like switcheroo. Do you have any record of like who came out for that casting call? I don't. I Actually, you know what I heard it was? Robert De Niro was going to come in, You're but he wanted $6 million. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we just- That's so our big as, reference. <laughs> as, as far as like real time flies, the last episode we produced before recording this is big. I was thinking that of your of our discussion of who else yeah. came out for the role of Josh. If, if it's been made uh, public, I don't remember seeing any like names that would jump out like, oh, such and such did. You know. Well, I was going to turn your big question back on you. And when Joel stepped out, it's mid-90s. Can you picture anybody you could see stepping into the host role on the Satellite of Love? Hmm. I feel like the qualities that you need, this is not a direct transfer, but the qualities you need in that role are similar to like a talk show host, right? Yeah. You need to be able to kind of think on your feet. And there's just a certain cadence in the way that you deliver that. Like I always found talk show hosts to never be great stand-up comedians. They have a different skill set at comedy trying to think who could actually come in and do it. It's just, it's so specific and having to be able to riff off of that and have that 
that humor. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. I mean, it's hard because they can't be too much of a titan. They can't be too big. Right. The first one that came to mind for me would have been Dana Carvey. I could maybe see that. He get too much in the voices, though. Right, too many voices. But he's creative. He's proppy. He, True. He does some mock comedy. Oh, what about Robin Williams? Oh, it's a beautiful thing there. Oh my God, there's an alien coming after me! Oh my God! What's going on over here? Oh, oh, what a beautiful thing there! That was actually pretty remarkable, and it was also family friendly. I can't do Robin Williams for more than ten seconds before it turns into real pure seventies <laughs> and eighties Robin Williams. So there were seven seasons on Comedy Central, so it lasted there a pretty good amount of time for a TV show. But canceled in 96. They just yeah. said ratings were down. And what was neat, this is kind of similar to what um, Darren McBee said about American Gladiators. It's like, this is early to mid-90s. The internet is just getting alive with like chat forums and groups. Yeah. So there's this huge following who uh, fans of Mystery Science Theater 3000 are called Misties, based on yeah. MST3Ks. So Misties are online. They're writing letters. They're leaving voicemails at Comedy Central to try and bring it back. I mean, huge, like... Don't end this campaign. Right. Comedy Central has its fingers in its ears. La, 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 la. They're thinking just South Park is what they're all jamming about. But the sci-fi channel was like, hey, we dig stuff in space and we like robots and you show movies that are sci-fi movies largely. Why don't you come on here? So sci-fi takes it back for three seasons. But sci-fi has an agenda. Sci-fi does have an agenda, which had not included that between this Comedy Central to sci-fi transition, Trace Below... The other one of the original cast members also is having a lot of conflict with Malin, mm. which I'm trying to reserve all my own thoughts because I haven't met Malin. I haven't talked to him. I haven't seen his interviews. But people do seem to be trying to distance themselves from someone who was not involved in the creative origins of this show. Seems to be a little divisive figure. Seems to be a divisive figure. Seeing a trend. So that means as it transitions to Sci-Fi Channel, there are no one from the original cast is involved in the show anymore. Yeah. Uh, but tell me about the agenda, the agenda in sci-fi. So, yeah, there's an agenda. Their agenda is, we're the sci-fi channel, so guess what? You gotta watch sci-fi movies. All sci-fi, all the time. All, sci- <laughs> all sci-fi, all the time. And, of course, we already mentioned, they had to go through 20 movies at times just to find one good one. And you have to imagine they're this deep into the show. What's the season eight they're going into? Yeah. So they've already cherry-picked a lot of these movies, and so their selection pool is just so tiny. And that was problematic, because they didn't only want to do sci-fi shows. They wanted to, you know, explore other areas. So that was an issue. And when you limit creatives too much, sometimes you break them. It's true. And so just two years later, canceled. August 1999 on the Sci-Fi Channel. Again, huge letter-writing campaign. Fans love the show. Please don't let it die. But the ratings were low, and the cost to get those film rights, you know, to riff the movies were skyrocketing. It was just too expensive to produce. That actually was, I think, the other issue that I was trying to remember. They didn't quite have the library of movies to pull from because of the film rights issues. I think under Comedy Channel, Mm, Comedy Central, they just had a bigger selection. So again, you know, it's just this tiny little, tiny little bit. Sword. And in true sci-fi fashion, they just love to cancel all their stuff. So it's great. (laughs) Firefly! No! Everything. Everything they've ever done. Uh, So, the season 10 finale premiered on August 8th, 1999. The movie, Danger, Diabolic. Uh, And during which, in the show's narrative, Pearl Forrester, who is the current mad, related to Dr. Forrester of the original mad on Comedy Central, she accidentally sends the satellite of love out of orbit, uh, with Mike and the robots escaping, 
and they end up somehow taking residence in an apartment near Milwaukee, where it all began, where they continue to riff movies to this day. Ooh. And, you know, I want to make clear, we've talked a lot about Joel and Jay Elvis and Weinstein and, and Mallet, but um, there's a huge revolving cast of writers and the Mads and supporting cast. Like any movie or TV show we would do, it's just too many to go through to keep the show interesting. But no, there's a lot of creative people that have touched this and made it special. Yeah. So that is the history of Mystery Science Theater 3000 slash MST3K. Chris, do you have anything else to add to that? The only other piece that I think fits really well in history, and maybe is a good bridge to chemistry, is how this show also got perpetuated out there in the early days, like you said, pre-internet. In addition to this, like, call-in hotline, what was it? Forward the tapes? Send around the tapes? Right. They had this, whatever their call to action was, is basically like, get your VHS tapes where you've recorded the show, circulate it. Circulate the tapes. Send them around. It's basically kind of like musicians that let you bootleg their shows and they're like, pass the bootlegs around. Share our music. Get more fans on board. And that was a huge piece of... Getting this show its popularity, which I thought was cool. That's such it's a- so freaking awesome. Like you, you, you fast forward to um. Oh my god, who was that jerk guitarist from Metallica who mm. during the Napster days was trying to get all the file sharing oh, shut yes. down? Metallica was very anti Napster. Yeah, right. And they were like, "We got to stop sharing this music because we're not making our cut on this." Yeah, and like MST3K is the polar opposite, where they're like, "Please." rip this off yeah give it to other people because we just got to get the word out about this show yeah which is exactly the message we like to portray here on 80s high which is please rip this podcast episode put it on a on a jump drive on a carrier pigeon put your phone up to a loudspeaker and walk through your town square right yeah and just please just spread the word on it you know just give it we're not making any money off of this and neither are you we're you know we've got nothing to lose just share it I'm making money. I don't know what you're doing over there. Wait a minute. Hold on. Did you get sponsors? Um, anyway. On the, moving on. The chem- on <laughs> the chemistry. We've got chemistry sign. <laughs> I had to pull the escape hatch on that one. Oh, uh, my God. What were we, I feel like what we were just talking about in history was really important. I had a question. Ugh, I forgot it. I we were talking the about hallway. the next topic. Uh, to yeah. occupy your mind, then. Uh, that must have been it. It must Don't have Don't look been behind you. Move, always move forward. About Hold on. Let me just put this wad of cash into my back Wait. Did, why, did you say – you said you have a sash? You have a new yeah, MST3K I'm going to put this nice sash? sash in my back pocket. <sighs> I, I want a sash. Uh, so now that we're in chemistry, what's your earliest memory? How did you first get your fancy tickled with the satellite of love? I always love it when you go Charlie Day. That was my favorite part. You just went full Charlie. It was what great. What was my Charlie Day? <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of Charlie Day. It's great. Well, I just want to be fair. On Always Sunny, they yeah. say, Charlie, you just went a little bent. Like he really oh, they do. Yeah, yeah, like they, you just bend out. You just bend out. He always gets that from me. That's great. <laughs> he had a case of the bends. Oh, no. it's the scuba dive joke. Okay. So my first memory of this show was actually not until college. It was the movie, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. The divisive, cast-shattering event, the movie. Yes, indeed. Wow. So, best of my recollection, my friend Corey, friend of the show, had probably the DVD of it. And I remember he's coming over probably like to visit for a weekend or something like that. And, you know, it's like hanging out with friends, like, hey, I want to watch this movie. And I was like, oh, I, I kind of knew sort of what Mystery Science Theater was about, but hadn't really ever watched it. Mm. So we put the movie. He's like, it's really funny. Put the movie in. 
cracking up. <laughs> that movie is freaking hilarious. Yeah. So good. I truly believe it's one of the best encapsulations of the show because I'm not a big fan of the host bits, the little the frame story stuff. Yeah, doesn't yeah, interest yeah. me. For me, more often than not, it's just it either falls flat or I don't like it. I'm like, okay, let's get back to the movie. Yeah. The riffing is what I like. But what I will say is I feel like that movie they worked on so well, it was like perfect, like all the pieces to it. So freaking quotable. Oh, my gosh. What my is- friends and I will still say it to each other. We'll be talking and be like, and if your hands are made of metal, that would mean something. <laughs> or, you know, like, run, Ruth, run. Brilliant strategy. Thanks, Napoleon. Oh, so good. What is – I can't remember what the plot of the movie is. The movie they're watching? No, no, no. Like the MST3K movie – there's no plot to any of them, right? They're just they're on the space station. Oh, okay. It's like so, it's basically like an episode. It's an I mean, episode. Okay. This is what's so interesting about Joel having opposition to it. It's really just an episode of the show. Yeah. It's yeah. not any longer. It's not done any differently. It was just released in movie theaters versus oh. on TV. So I'm not sure what his opposition was. I wonder what was. the beef was. It'd be interesting to find out. But yeah, there's no there's really no difference. It's like any other episode, just extremely well done. Okay. Maybe a little more production that. value, I would say. I feel like okay. the um, the scenes where they're on the space station, the sets and the props, they look nicer. A little better. I think it's a little higher a quality. Little, a little higher quality. Because, you know, there's a scrappy quality intentionally to the show, right? Right. And, you know, with like the, the little moon and the doors, like it's all kind of scrappy, but it's a little more polished to the movie. I think part of the charm of MST3K is it feels like it has that Doctor Who scrappy prop Oh, sure. Uh, and set sort of thing. Like, we've just yeah. – it, it feels like they pulled an all-nighter, putting it together. This was not LucasArts coming and putting <laughs> together this beautiful model, this amazing package of computer-generated graphic effects. Not at all. This was delightfully homemade. I think that's one of, like, the big appeals of it is, like, as a kid – you saw these props and you could see like the cracks and the pieces of the robots. And like, you could tell like, oh, his head's a baseball. Oh, crow's like mouth being kind of sideways. Like you could tell it. Yeah. yeah, It's like a cut bowling pin, I think almost. And like um, Tom Servo is just a gumball machine mostly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, as a kid, you're like, I could do that. I could find some stuff and put it together. And these are kind of jokes that I would make with my friends. Like it felt very like a show that you could really connect with as a kid. Oh, for sure. So I love that. My earliest memory, I really feel like sleepovers for me, mm-hmm. which were big in like junior high and early high school, like that sixth grade to ninth grade kind of thing. This was the show you waited to come on during a sleepover because it was just so much fun to watch it with your friends and just the cast is doing what you would have done watching a bad movie with your friends. It's just like – They're just doing it like jokes. way better and way so more frequently, right? It brought back to me uh, – John was a friend of mine who loved MST3K. and We like were really into it as kids. There's an episode – it's when they do the movie Pod People. Mm. Oh, my God. It's one of the best episodes of MST3K ever. But it's this little kid, much like a lot of the movies in the 80s we talked about where like, there's a kid hiding a monster from its parents. He, has, he befriends this alien called Trumpy. And Trumpy looks like a real sad, meth-blown-out elf. <laughs> and they come to the meteor where Trumpy hatches out of, and it opens, and this red pulsing jelly comes out. And I guess it's Mike by then, but Mike goes like, Smucker's brand jam is grown here on the – like, he does the old commercial. 
And I just remember all through junior oh high, whenever God. John and I would like see each other, be like, Smucker's brand jelly is the best jelly there is. So good. And it was all from that. So we asked the class of 80s high, what are, what are your most memorable MST3K moments? Yes. One person just said they, you know, I don't have a specific memory, but I was just always amazed at just how many horrible old sci-fi movies there are in existence. Oh my God. It feels like a never ending. Oh yeah. It's like a clown car. They just keep coming out. Which, you know, I think is fascinating in the YouTube, we're, pa- we're well past the YouTube age, we're in the TikTok age, but there's the movies you see in the theaters, and those have been bankrolled, they have massive marketing departments behind them, huge, pro- you know, massive producers, and then you've got all the movies that show up, like, in a movie rental store, and those all had a lot of money behind them to get them Going direct to VHS. Right, all those movies, but then you've got to realize all of that is the minority of film made. And most of stuff is sort of like Joel, like, hey, make a VHS and just pass it around to your friends. That's most of the movie content in the world, which YouTube really shone a light on. You've got a bunch of streaming services now that are doing their own stuff. It is amazing. When they're like, I can't believe there's so many horrible movies. And you're like, whoa, most movies are bad. And like, <laughs> we have no idea they exist. Oh, my gosh. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. Oh, this one's a bit controversial. You want to read the second one here? So this person says, I just want to say, as much as I love Joel, Mike is greater than Joel. He just felt more natural, seemed like he was actually having fun, whereas Joel's deadpan style doesn't do much for me. Ooh, hot take. Hot take. Guess what? I concur. You concur. Now, could that be skewed by the fact that my first experience with this is the movie, which features Mike? Perhaps. However, as best as I can remove myself from that equation, I do feel like comedy style, personality-wise, I do seem to like Mike a little more than I like Joel. You know, they make a very good point that Mike feels like he's having a good time. You got to give mad respect to Joel for coming up with this idea, making all the robots. Like, there's so much creativity in what he did. But uh, yeah, I mean, we watched some of the early episodes. I mean, we watched... K00, the the pilot, the green slime, and then I watched 01 and 02, which yep. were, what were the episode names you re- you remember? Yeah, them? so I had those. They are, hold please. So the first episode, Invaders from the Deep. The second one is Revenge of the Mysterons from Mars. Both of these movies, by the way, marionettes. Yeah, the whole thing. Puppets. That was interesting. I mean, it marionettes are creepy for many reasons that i probably don't have to articulate but well unless it's um a team america world police that's a pretty fantabulous marionette performance yes and they're also creepy i mean this is we are firmly in the uncanny valley of these things are just in that right spot of looking lifelike creepy so yeah but these episodes i will just say are rough yeah i mean you can go find them i frankly don't feel like they're watchable Unless you love this franchise so much that you just want to like dig a little bit deeper and see the origin story, you're probably going to like it. What you get is maybe, what would you say, 70% of what the show became? Yeah. I mean, you've got most of the premise there besides the plot of having the mad scientists and Joel. No, they they show up. Wait, they are? They're in the song. Yeah, the scientists are actually in the song. Now, they're not oh, in the episode, but like the right. song is fairly intact. They don't have the Gizmotic Institute. There's a few right, other pieces right, they right. kind of embellished on. But, you know, it's him talking. The robots are there. The voices are rough. The voices oh, yeah, of the yeah. robots are not good. Real rough. Real rough. Joel is like shaggy, shaggy hair. It is 
Incredible. Yeah, his hippie hair is hippie, intense. Hippie hair. Big bangs, like a big swoopy bangs, hair down to his shoulders, like, whoa. So it's mostly there, and then, you know, movie sign, and then it kind of zooms through the doors, and then you see the little seats, but he doesn't come in right away. Yeah, right. And at first he sits down, there's no robots. Right. There's no talking. I think he doesn't say a word until the first, like, six minutes of the movie. Yeah, that was shocking to me. I mean, by this point, how many? 800 jokes worth? Whatever. Right. Divide that by six minutes. You know, the total runtime. You probably had like 50 jokes already. Joel hasn't said boo in yeah. this episode. Right. And one of our listeners just pulled off to the side of the road to do that math because it was very important to them. Or to get- <laughs> <laughs> They're like, wait a second. I mean, we're not quite a math class, but you got to check the work. Right. Chemistry. You got to check the work. Chemistry is a mathematic science. Absolutely. But then he's like eating popcorn at one point. That drove me nuts. (laughs) Like you're watching a movie. He's eating popcorn. He's barely saying a word. His first thing is like a really odd observation of what they say. I had it written down, I thought, but I don't see it here. Hold on. I want to rewind a second. It's not just like he's eating popcorn. He's got a lapel mic with a bag of popcorn next to it. Yeah. So it's like... Like yeah. he's chewing into the mic for a lot of the well, movie. And you get all the noise of like when he's moving the like lapel mic rubbing yes. up against his. Like you just get it, – it's scrappy. It is scrappy for sure. Oof. Oof. And then at one point, Crow joins him in the theater like at an intermission later. And in the second episode, again, it's more of the same. But I think at that point, Tom Servo is introduced halfway through the episode and then he joins them. So finally, over a halfway through the second episode – you finally get the three of them sitting in the theater. Yeah. And you can start to see the jokes come, but they're still really sparse. And like uh, like we said, it's improv originally. So like yeah. the joke will be delivered and you're like, that wasn't that funny. <laughs> yeah. And then there's no like response back because it's like you don't want to encourage a bad joke or if yeah. you don't know how to recover a bad joke or someone has a good joke and you just don't have a good follow up to it. Right. So again, it's so easy for us to like tear holes in this 30 plus years later. But like, again, coming from nothing and all these interesting influences, he's building this. It's very cool, but it's very different than what I think what a lot of people remember MST3K about. But interestingly enough, so I wondered how quickly do they get into the groove of it? So I tried to pull a first season episode, which would have been from Comedy Central. These are like season zero, right? Like basically. Smart. Well, initially, I found a season two episode, started watching it. It's 203, Jungle Goddess is what they're watching. Okay. We're like fully into the show. It is running on all cylinders. I feel like Jungle Goddess is just rife with problems. Yeah. You've very correctly assumed. Oh, boy. Very correctly assumed. Oh, boy. But it's all here. It's packed with jokes and jabs. It's fully formed, fully realized. So then I backed up. I was like, okay, well, how does season one look? So I got to 106, The Crawling Hand. And I think that's one of the earliest ones I could find from season one. But again, they're off to the races. It's like 95% the show at that point. Yeah, they got it together. That that sweet, sweet Comedy Central money. Well, and I think I read somewhere that when Joel had to make like a a cut to pitch the show to the stations, he had to come up with a sizzle reel, as they call it, right? Oh, yeah. So he had to come up with a sizzle reel. And I think what he realized when he did that is he was like, oh, when this is rapid fire and really fast, it works. This is the real magic of it. And I think that's why he decided, you know what? In order to do this, it needs to be scripted. It's got to be scripted. And man, how what an exhausting flip for him. From the original show, that's deadpan and improv. And he just makes a joke when he authentically has an idea to like 800 jokes in 90 minutes. Bam, 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 bam. Right. Because, yeah, his rhythm in those first ones, uh, yeah, Crow, so, uh. Oh, my God, it's so. We're gonna. It's hard. I mean, do you you think you could drive a car like that, Crow? Probably, Mark. 
Probably. Yeah, like, exactly. the voice is really bad. It's It's, oofy. it's not a good voice. Like, I'm sorry whoever did it, but it is... L- Okay, go back and listen to the first episode of this show, Low right. Energy Chris. Right. Dial the energy down even lower than episode one, Chris. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, you know, shows take a lot of time to grow and find their uh, find the rhythm. You know, you got to get into it. Well, it could have well, saved- not to toot our own horn, but we are off to the races episode two. I mean, I'm just going to say. Re- well, that's just, I mean, no one's saying, but they're saying. Yeah. Hopefully that someday helps us secure some sponsors. You know, if they ever heard us, if we get a stride, that would be really cool someday if we get sponsors. Yeah, yeah. Because you haven't heard anything, right? No, we've, we're not making any money off the show. That sounded like a bunch of paper just flipping in your hand real fast. Are you, is that just post-it notes? Hey, Ben, did you uh, want to talk about the next topic? Great, chemistry. So anyway, um, it could have saved you a lot of time in your review of the series because in 96, uh, concurrent with the movie, they came out with the Amazing Colossal Episode Guide which was written by the cast members, and it gives a synopsis of every single episode for the first six seasons. Wow. I actually kind of want to add that to my collection because I think that would be awesome. I do have the movie in my collection, which I, I need to I need to rewatch now that it's such, oh. such a heartthrob to your history of this. Oh, yeah. Let's sneak away under the cover of day in the biggest car in the county. <laughs> oh, so good. Speaking of heartthrob. We'll I start wanna... here at Goofy Clown Face. <laughs> I'm going to stop. It's hard. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. But that's what's so good. Like, if you love this property, there's so many good – you know, we just spent five minutes talking about the crap jokes from early on. If you love this property, there's so many great golden jokes you remember for decades. Yeah. But speaking of heartthrob, one of the things I love about this property is the theme song. Mm -hmm. I love the theme song and I love the tunnel that transitions from the host segment to the movie segment. Yeah. And so the theme song, it literally is the alarm on my phone. When I set a timer really? for anything. <laughs> and then we're going to get to why I have that on my phone in contemporary culture. All right. The main theme is called the love theme. Mm-hmm. And the slow-mo one that rolls uh, in the credits with the French horn, the bum, 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 yeah. bum, 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 is called Mighty Science Theater. Songs were composed by Charlie Erickson with the help of Hodgson in the style of Devo, big 80s band. The Replacements, the Rivieras. Uh, particularly the cover song of California Sun, and they're sung by Joel. That is Joel's voice in the theme song. Do the theme songs have a special place in your memory? I mean, again, they have a charm to them. I don't maybe love them in the same way. I will say this much, though. In the zero season episodes, the La La La's are not in there. Oh, yeah. And it's funny. I was looking through comments on the YouTube uh, video and somebody was saying I had to add the la la la's back in. I was like, me too. Yeah. It's so funny. Oh, I was yeah. like, of course you do. Like it just felt empty. I will say this much, and we're going to talk about contemporary culture. I'm sure the Netflix version I really love. Mm-hmm. I think it's really done well uh, in terms of the theme song. Yeah, that's all I have for chemistry. Well, we also asked the class of '80s high. You yes, mentioned that door you. sequence, and we had yeah. to find out what class of '80s high is your favorite door. And more importantly, Ben, I need to know, what's your favorite door? Oh, well, my favorite door, because, you know, I both like sci-fi and fantasy, and I'm really, I love when they cross. The big sci-fi novel I published uh, is sci-fi fantasy crossover. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a door that drops down that's a drawbridge with mm. fire. And I, I thought the idea of a drawbridge on a spaceship was hilarious. That's great. And it's either right before that door, that something in the Comedy Central days squeaks across the floor like there's a ah. there's a space rat. And nice. I thought that was a cool little addition to that door. But right. So our first reader loves door number two because it has a strange face on it. Oh, yeah. It's like a mask or something. Yeah, right. And then this listener said, the last door, movie sign. movie sign. 
I loved in the original, in like the zero zero episodes, Joel says, uh, when they go movie site, we're going to go around, you go through. Oh, yeah. So the original door suites are just doors in the office and the studio that they're Yeah, just working. regular doors. So it's like a locker door they open, and it's yeah. like a mini fridge door, like a safe door. Janitor awesome. closet door. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. It was so good. Uh, what's your favorite door? Tell us about your favorite door. I love the hatch. Like the oh, submarine yeah, kind of yeah, hatch with the cool. door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has an old-timey quality to it, and it just feels very interesting. I, I love that one. The door sequence from the Netflix reboot is fantastic. Oh, it's beautiful. Because uh, it's so detailed. But anyway, that's all I have. Stomach is grumbling. I'm going to need to eat some space freeze-dried food. Well, you mentioned some space rat. That sounds... Have a little space rat going on. <laughs> Pull some gumballs out of Tom Servo. That might be better than what we just heard on the morning announcements. I'm just saying. It's Sometimes true. that cafeteria food leads Gets something real to be gross. desired. Right. We can't have square pizza every freaking week. So let's go do our uh, invention exchange at lunch, and then we'll catch you afterward. Yes. Every year, Hollywood makes hundreds of movies. This is one of them. Gramercy Pictures invites you to the first big screen adventure of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You hit something! You killed the Hubble! At last, the crew aboard the Satellite of Love can tell jokes without a censor. I'm a naughty boy! Naughty, naughty! And boldly go where no man or robot has gone before. Hey, I'm experiencing a sensation altogether new to me, and frankly, I love it. Watch the gang from Mystery Science Theater as they watch the science fiction classic, This Island, Earth. Captain's log, I've lost my toupee and girdle and I can't leave my room. The supreme excitement of our time. Ooh, yes, very nice. See sights never before dreamed by man. Why'd they put the toilet in the middle of the room? Where captive Earth people fight for their lives. Oh, I'm very vulnerable there. Oh, there go the piano lessons. Two and a half years in the making. Oh, no, Tinkerbell's going down. Pull up, Tinkerbell! Oh, no! <laughs> Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. Hey, Baywatch is on. All right, let's get out of here, you guys. All right, contemporary culture. Uh, so right before we went and ate whatever the heck that was. Mystery uh, meat. Just leave it at that. You mentioned the Invention Exchange, which is yeah. this thing that happens on MST3K where there's some sort of theme and then the robots and Joel slash Mike make a thing to solve that thing. And then the Mads show the thing that they make to solve the thing. Right. Uh, we asked the class of 80s high, what is your brilliant invention for the invention exchange. This is great. Something to transmit the other senses digitally, like smell, touch, or taste. It could get weird, but would be really cool. Can you picture this? There was a smell-o-vision experiment in movie theaters, maybe in the 60s or 70s, oh, where yeah. they would incorporate smell. And then they all, there was also, um, was it Universal Studios Florida, the Spider-Man? Like they incorporate heat oh. and mist. So you have the tactile sensations. Legit one of my favorite rides of all time. It's good. I also saw once at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago that there was a sweater that you could get. And it was filled with like these haptic wires. Mm. And you could text a hug to a friend. 
So like you text a hug and the sweater would contract a little bit on you. How do you feel about that? I'm going to go with our class of 80s high member and say, could get weird. Yeah. Also sounds like a sci-fi horror movie where it like overpowers and it just cuts into your body. This feels a little bit like an unsolicited hug. Feels a little creepy. Are you talking about like second date, you gift a hugging sweater to someone and be like, let's just see if we can text hug each other for a bit. Yeah, it's going to be like... This is moving too fast. This is moving in a strange direction. Yeah, and they get someone a hug necklace and they get strangled and it's a <gasps> murder mystery. It sounds – okay, this is our next uh, true crime <laughs> podcast, Murder Clothes. It's going to be awesome. Murder Clothes. I love it. So another listener says, corded earbuds with untangleable wires. Oh. Stuff them in your pocket any old way and no matter what, they never tangle. Wait. What is this Bluetooth? Ah. Now, not a bad idea. If you could make untangleable wires. Now, granted, I feel like we're going into a wireless direction, probably eventually, more so than we have. But For sure. Now, Bluetooth has its annoyances sometimes, too. So I'm on board with this. I like it. I have a weirdly topical story on this invention, which I love, is I was chatting last week with a friend who is uh, pretty far along in her communications career. And she has a friend who was one of the speechwriters for President Obama. And he had just been a staffer, but he finally got assigned to write a big speech for Obama. And he was no like, pressure. Oh, oh, no pressure. And so he's like, you know, 48 hours, he's pulling a Joel Hodgson, he's up all night writing this big impassioned speech. And so it gets to the day where he's going to finally face off with Obama and present the speech to him. And he had recorded it on his phone and he wanted Obama to listen. He goes, oh, well, I brought headphones for you. And he pulls out these headphones. And, you know, when you're not a high up staffer with a president, you've got a couple of minutes and that's it. And then they got to move on. Yeah. So he pulls out his headphones and they're in a knot. And he spends the next two minutes untangling oh this for Obama. And Obama just takes the headphones and he's like, just send me the audio file and I'll listen to it later. I don't have any time anymore. And he walks away. And he was just devastated. This person, this inventor could have saved that speechwriter. A career-saving invention. This ah, is great. Exactly. Uh, last but not least, it's just a monkey, but the invention is that it goes to work for you without anyone noticing. A replacement. Yeah, I like it. I kind of feel like it doesn't need to be a monkey, and yet somehow it does. So somehow it works. Yeah. Um, so, contemporary culture. This show comes back because our good old friend, Jim Mallon, comes back in 2007 with an animated web series, The Bots are back, which follows the robots and their adventures throughout space. Yet again, it seems like Jim just doesn't understand what made the show special and what's important about it. And no. so four episodes come out. Is he a marketing exec? He sounds like a marketing exec. He's not a marketing exec. One, if he's I a, ever heard one. He's a producer. And so what's interesting is there's a letter writing campaign to shut the show down. Because yeah. fans of Mr. Science Theater 2000 hate it. Congratulations, sir. You've gotten the only letter writing campaign in history to actually cancel a thing. killed it. But in 2015, fans of Mystery Science Theater 3000, as we've said, known as Misties, united behind a record-breaking Kickstarter crowdfunding effort to bring the show back. Yeah, this thing blows up. This was Joel's dream. He's looking for $2 million to produce three episodes with the stretch goal to try and get funding for 12 episodes. Right. This Kickstarter was led by Ivan Axwith, a consultant who also worked on the Veronica Mars and Reading Rainbow Kickstarter campaigns, which if you didn't know that Reading Rainbow got brought back, 
get on board. Because I also awesome. love that they found the one guy who's like, I'm successful at making Kickstarter campaigns to bring successful shows yeah. back in business. You're like, okay, you're hired. Get him on board. Yeah, that's great. I contributed to this Kickstarter. So you have a conflict of interest that you did not disclose at the I outset done, of right. this I show. I should have been. I am a financial now backer. Now we know he's in the pockets of big MST3K. <laughs> That's what you – you just – you're a shill. <laughs> boo. In the pockets boo. of Big Robot. No, ironically, Big Robot. So I've only ever backed two Kickstarter campaigns. One was MST3K and one – I don't know if you ever saw this, but a team of American engineers challenged a team of Japanese engineers to build – giant fighting robots like kaiju sized robots to fight each other that's amazing and i thought that was hilarious and so i gave a little cash to that and they built them and they fought and it was sweet Ugh. anyway again it was two million dollars is what he was going for it reaches that goal in one week yep on the final day of the campaign uh Hodgson and shout factory which is now where mst3k lives ran a streaming telethon which I attended virtually, which was delightful. Nice. Uh, included appearances from the newly selected cast and crew, various celebrities that supported the revival to try and exceed that stretch target. Campaign ended December 11th, 2015. Do you have the number there of the total money raised? I do not. It's a lot more than $2 million, I can tell you that much. It is a heck of a lot more. $5.7 million. Okay. So they well more than double their goal. From 48,270 backers. I thought I was special, but there are 48,269 other people who believe this should happen. Indeed. And then they got an additional $600,000 in those backers donating more money during the telethon. Yeah. So Hodgson was able to do even two more episodes with that money, a Christmas episode. So 14 episodes total. The Kickstarter campaign became the largest ever for film and video, uh, which surpassed the 5.7 for Veronica Mars. But do you have any idea what then became the largest film and TV on Kickstarter? Hmm. You and I share a common pastime in this content. I cannot think of what it would be. Once a month on Saturdays, you and I meet. Sorry, buddy. I don't know. Critical Role, which is the most popular web TV series about Dungeons and Dragons ever made. Never heard of it. Never. Oh, you might actually like it. It's kind of fun. Okay. Anyway, hugely successful. There's some pretty big names in this reboot. Well, Patton Oswalt, probably your biggest get yeah, right there. Yeah, huge. Big fan of the show. I just feel like he's someone who's like, I'm in it. I don't need glory. Like, if this is a fun thing, I'm going to do it. For sure. Second, everyone's favorite, Felicia Day. Yeah. Also talking about D&D, I first learned about Felicia Day back in, did you ever watch The Guild? I have it. I've heard of it. I've never watched it. I know her mostly from Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Oh, that's so good. It's really good, yeah. So Felicia and Patton are the mads, and you've got the no-host, Jonah. Uh, Jonah Ray, Hachimet also, so this gives me hope. Ray was doing an episode of the Nerdist podcast, and Hachin came on and was like, oh, Ray would be a good fit for bringing this back. If we can just get the right person on our podcast, Chris, you and I could be the hosts of an 80s property revival. We're one step away. We are one step removed. Let's Kevin Bacon this thing. Let's get that final degree. Look, we had Derek McBee on. If they bring back American Gladiators again. It could be us. We would be <laughs> phenomenal announcers on American Gladiators. Uh, we would just make up like names for everybody. We don't even remember what the names of the events are. We're just like, who knows? Here's the bum blaster. Let's get in there. Like The problem is all I think of is dodgeball, where it's like, blazer, taser, laser, glazer. <laughs> like they're all, yeah, I just, yeah, can't get that out of my head. So it's not all on television. You know, they've gone live. 
since then. I mean, back, uh, you know, I didn't get into it, but they did some live productions in the 80s, too. But uh, you and I have seen them live. We indeed did. They watched No Retreat, No No Surrender. Surrender. Oh, my gosh. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, my God. That's right. And the movie took place, allegedly, in Seattle. So they were making a lot of jokes about that because we saw it in Seattle. It's hilarious. Yeah. They came to the Moore Theater. It was their The Great Cheesy Movie Circus Tour. Uh, in 2019, that was a lot of fun. We were up in the, the balcony with the balcony monsters up there. Oh, yeah. I didn't know this at the time, but I read this when getting ready for this episode. Hodgson announced it would be his final live tour. Oh. Which he's not that old. I can't imagine he's going to stick it to that. Like, he's – come on, man. He's still got he, some He's got a little him. Larry David quality. Larry David's always quitting. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to do yeah. any more Seinfeld. I'm not going to do any more Kirby enthusiasm. He keeps coming back. I feel like Joel's a little bit the same way. He kind of fuss quits and then he's like, uh, maybe I'll come back. Right. Come on, Joel. Don't give up on us, Joel. So I've got the spinoffs from MST3K, but are there other like influences you've thought of uh, that Mr. Science Theater had on contemporary culture? Well, as a joke, I meant to mention this history, but it did influence me. I remember my cousins and I watched Jason Takes Manhattan. Oh, my God. And we got a cassette boombox and we did like our version of Mystery Science Theater making fun of Jason Takes Manhattan. Wait, you recorded you guys? I'm sure it's lost to the ages, but we recorded ourselves and then we'd play the cassette back while the movie's playing. It was so much fun. How by 1989 were there eight Friday the 13th movies already. Yeah. That's crazy. It's a lot, buddy. Now, that would have been a good movie. We asked the class of 80s high, what movie needs riffing? What other movies need to be attacked mm. by Mike, Joel, the robots? And we got some freaking great answers. The first one, uh, Armageddon. Just the yeah. concept alone would be worth hearing them tear apart. You know, we're going to talk about it in a second, but I looked at the modern property of MST3K because I thought, oh, of course they've done Armageddon. And they haven't. And that is ripe earth to plow. Come on. Low-hanging fruit, as they say. I'm just going to take this next one because it's personal. Uh, (laughs) One might say you take umbrage with this. I take umbrage with this. Somebody wrote, little monsters. It might make it actually enjoyable. Oh. So again, little monsters, 80s property about a kid hiding a monster from their family, a whole underworld of monsters. Fred Savage, Howie Mandel. This was definitely a movie that I made a mistake on where I hadn't seen it in a long time. I remembered loving it as a kid. We talked about this in Nostalgia, where like the rose-colored glasses and the psychology around that. And so I recommended it to this friend, and they came back full of rage. Yeah. And then I rewatched it, and I was like, ah, yeah, you're right. This does not hold up well anymore at all. Bad call there, Ben. Bad call. Yeah, bad call. Take the last one, because I think this is actually pretty good. I like this one. This is good. I haven't seen this movie, but I, I'm aware of it and its weirdness. The yeah. movie The Lobster. This is lots of opportunities to get inside that absurdity and nothing really to distract from. So I know the concept of this movie. It sounds very bizarre. And so I could see it maybe just being, again, another plum target for a lot of funny jokes. Totally. It's a very it's a movie takes itself really seriously. Oh, does it? Okay. When you reach a certain age, if you haven't found a love partner, you're sent to this sort of like therapy clinic and they try and match you up with people. And if you don't do it in time, you turn into an animal. It sounded weird. It sounded like one of those art house movies yes, where I'm like, yeah, very much. Very like Swiss Army much. Man. I'm like, yeah. 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 Great choices. I love what they had to say. That was, was so great. good. So the cast of MST3K has spun off and tried a bunch of things since it was gone. We know Jim Mallon did the animated series online. 
So former cast members Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy, which they will come back again, uh, started the film crew, which was basically the same thing, but there was no like really external plot. No frame story. Yeah. So cinematic Titanic, again, very similar. They did a live tour, but they somehow were in some sort of experiment. Like there were like nods said that they were in some sort of government lab and they Mm. had to riff and get out of it. They were aware that MST3K was a thing that existed. The kids would say that's a bit meta. It's a big meta. But really, Mike, Kevin, and Bill Corbett, the main thing they did that's still alive today is riff tracks. Right. So riff tracks is just them and they're making fun of the movie, Uh, but they've really modernized it. I actually have the app they do their audio files of the riff separate from the movie. Yeah. But you might have the movie in your home collection or you're going to stream it online. So you just, I don't know, it's like two ninety nine an audio file. And you just download it and there's a tool in the app that listens for the movie. So it keeps it synced up and it's really fun. I, I, have you ever done riff tracks? I've not. It's a great idea. I like it because you get the funny commentary, but it feels more, what's the right word, portable or yeah. it's not its own standalone property. It's like a tack on you can do to the movie you're watching or you can just watch it straight up. It's fun. It's almost like turning on or off director's commentary, but you're just turning on jokes. Absolutely. I've definitely, we've had guests at our house. We've been guests at other people's houses and we're all going to watch a movie. And I'm like, hey, we've all seen this great movie. We've all picked 20 times. Do you want to hear jokes through right. it? Right. Uh, and then we'll get the riff tracks. They also have like guests on. So they had Neil Patrick Harris as a guest riffer, Weird Al Yankovic, late Fred Willard, Paul F. Tompkins, more. So they've got a bunch of voices on it. So I really, really do love riff tracks. You mentioned DVD commentary. And there's some communities out there who think DVD commentary was inspired by MST3K. Oh, okay. Both DVD releases for Ghostbusters and Men in Black actually did Shadow Rama. So the cast oh, nice. like sat at the bottom in the theater and talked about the movie. That's great. And just this general idea of live tweeting along during a program or commenting right. socially while watching something really seems to have its origin in uh, MST3K. Yeah, for sure. Which I think is awesome. I didn't make the live tweeting connection, but absolutely, 100%. Right? I think the other kind of neat thing that I read in contemporary culture, it really brought these completely forgotten movies back that sort of like built up some fandom for like these old cheesy movies yeah i don't know like if you have a favorite type that they did but i always loved any sort of godzilla movies like gamera (laughs) or like any giant monster flicks i loved when they did those i will admit i haven't seen a lot of them i'm trying to think like what my favorite one from the netflix one is actually i like the ones that are more normal movies like there's one where oh there's two of them actually there's one where they're out in the wild and there's like the it's Sasquatch, right? Or like a oh god, like yes. the kid befriends the Sasquatch or whatever. Yes. And then there's the one where they're at the ski lodge with like the avalanche, avalanche. or whatever. It's called avalanche. Terrible. Cried laughing. The last thing I've got for contemporary culture, just because I know we did a Game Boy episode not too long ago. So last October, MST3K did a, a live stream all day long. They did another marathon, but it was on Indigenous Peoples Day, and they were doing a fundraiser for M I G I Z I which is a Minneapolis-based Native American community organization that teaches youth job skills, as well as leadership and cultural development. And their promo for it, the picture that they ran for weeks to promote this thing, was Joel, Tom Servo, and Crow in Game Boy art, with sort of like the symbol of this group in it. Nice. As I think you called it puke green, bile green. All of the above, yes. But we'll put that out on Instagram this week with this show. I'm going to send it to you too, because I don't know, it was just... It was a great mix of like Game Boy 80s and MST3K 80s. That was all nice to come together. That's awesome. Post 90s. That's all I've really got at MST3K. 
No, I think you've hit all the highlights pretty well. I don't know. Do we want to see what the math looks like on this baby? We'll tilt the bone that was thrown into the air that became the satellite of love. Put it on the scales of Mads versus robots. Let's see how it bounces out. All right. We're in math class. We're adding it up. We've pulled an all-nighter trying to put this episode together because it's going to premiere tomorrow. You're going to edit this whole thing tonight, right? That's what you were going to do? That's what you promised. Oh, I'm editing on the fly. Okay, you're editing as we go. (laughs) As we go. Has any of my audio made it while you've been editing? No, and I have to say it sounds a thousand percent better. Okay, it's okay. And it's half as long. It's so great. That's great. So I know previously the critics have spoken. So in 2007, Time Magazine said it was one of the top 100 TV shows of all time. Okay. In 1993, it was nominated for a Peabody Award. And in 94 and 95, it was nominated for Emmys for Outstanding Individual Achievement in Writing for a Variety or Music Program. Okay. So that's what the critics have to say. How do we feel? How do you feel MST, 3K, and I'll count Rift Tracks because that is the Comedy Central Days cast and forward. How do you feel those hold up today? As I mentioned, those early episodes are rough, but you could still see those glimmers and the potential there. I'm trying to stay in the 80s range as much as possible. Yeah. But as I mentioned, it's off to the races pretty quickly. However, if I was working at Comedy Channel and this was pitched to me, I don't know if I would greenlight it. Mm. Those concept episodes were not great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it was a fledgling channel trying to get its footing, establish itself. Maybe they saw the glimmers as well. They're like, okay, we're going to hitch our wagon to the star. Oh, yeah. I truly feel like scripting is what made this show work. Yeah. I know that guy had a creative difference and he left ad-libbing. I do not see this being sustainable. What people love about this is that the jokes are coming so fast you can barely keep up. You're like, oh, like you're laughing at it and then the next joke comes and you're like – it's like a good uh, stand-up comic when you're there and you're like hurting and laughing and you're like, just stop, just stop. I can't take it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like that. It's really a timeless art form, like the witty banter, the spoofing, the mocking, the parody, the little jabs. They're not always high quality jokes, but sometimes those are the funniest ones. They're just little like inane observations that really catch you off guard. And so it's just this delightful mix of surprise and also encapsulating what you are already thinking but maybe a second before you do. Yeah, I, that's a really astute observation. Yeah, it's like, whoa, they just read my mind. And yeah. so I think it's the mix of surprise plus also the, that's what I was thinking. That yes. formula just works. And we're in math class. And I just want to say last thing, comedy is a math because every comedian, they're going to want to shave every unnecessary piece away until they have the most pure form of a mm-hmm. joke. And that's how comedy works its best. And so. I just think they found that formula. They cut it right to the right to the bone, so to speak. And it's great. I think it holds up very well. Yeah. M- minus those early episodes. But again, I'll forget those. Which you make a really good point on is like you're in Comedy Central and it's 1989 and you are spending every day all winter watching these like VHS tapes that are getting mailed to you in crummy envelopes from around the continent. And you had to be some kind of visionary to see, like, there are bones here that with just a little more funding and probably scripting could be awesome. Right. But I think there's such a uniqueness in the premise that makes me love it enduringly. I feel like any kind of TV content, to me, is really predictable. 
I generally dislike all reality television. Wholesale, yeah. Wholesale, except for uh, River Monsters. I really liked River Monsters. <laughs> if Monsters is in the title, Ben is in. River Monsters is freaking awesome because it's like Discovery Channel with like a four loco in it. From Little Monsters to River to Monsters, Monsters, I'm Ben. I did watch a couple seasons of Swamp People because I found that very educational and fascinating. As long as monsters and water are involved, yeah. you are good. Yeah, I need some nature education with my reality TV. That's all I need. That's hey, all this guy needs. Hey. So that's reality TV for me. We already know by now I don't sport ball. I don't like watching sports unless it's weird like or really unique and new. Like we really got into watching comedy while we were in India, which is competitive male tag, which is an insane sport, but it's great. And so then when I get to like TV series, I feel like there's just so much predictability in it that you're like, this plot is about finding love. It's about losing love. It's Armageddon. It's horror. It's uh, violent action. Futuristic sci-fi. Like there's all very like plots that just repeat over and over and over and over and over again. Every single rom-com ever. Right. With just different beautiful people each time. Right. And MST3K is just such this pure, indifferent, like, here's a funny dude with some robots on a satellite that, you know, they make fun of movies. Although they say they don't mock them. They make jokes with movies. And it's just so unique. I continue to love that so much about it. So with the end of the math class, I will say MST3K is one of the very few very few older shows, like not currently running, that I probably watch a little bit of an episode every week. Hmm. It is my go-to like late night show. I can't fall asleep. When we have friends over who like watching movies or we go to a friend's house, I always bust out the Riff Tracks app to be like, do you guys want to hear some professional jokes while we watch this for the 30th time? I think the last one we did before all this went down, we were at a friend's house and they love Top Gun. And it was freaking hilarious <laughs> every time they play highway to the danger zone uh i think tom servo has a joke of like mike are we on the highway to the danger zone he goes no i think we're actually merging onto the on-ramp to the highway to the danger zone <laughs> uh, which we always talk about now on road trips <laughs> that's great anyway so i think I, i'm right with you i think it holds up great i think it's freaking hilarious i think some of the jokes you know some of the jokes i find are over my head because they mention celebrities that yeah. i don't know who they are so their breadth of pop culture knowledge, I mean, dwarfs us. Right, puts right. our little 80s high podcast in its place because they know everybody. But you can always tell a reference even when you don't get it. You know it's a reference to a thing even yeah. though you're like, I know it's funny. I just don't get the full joke. And right. then sometimes you go look it up and you're like, okay, that's brilliant. Okay, that's incredible. They just like, yeah, pulled great. that out of nowhere. But the old jokes hold up. The new season – like you said, in Avalanche on Netflix, I it was oh my gosh. abs are tired from yeah. laughing. So funny. It's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. It's so good. I feel that we've really covered it as in-depth as any Misty really can. Yeah. And thankfully, we have a Roomba robot to uh, clean up after all of our mess. We have Yuffie, which is a really terrible knockoff. And we do yell at it like it can hear us all the time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Everyone yells at their robots. It eats charging cables all the time. And then it screams from where it's stuck and choking to death. Don't get a knockoff. Oh, it's, it's a bad knockoff. Except no substitutes. And there can be no substitute for one of my favorite joys in life. Let's dig into this surprise. I'm really curious what you're going to think about this, Ben. Ooh, let me let me boy. let me set a little stage for our next episode of 80s High. Ooh. Ben, let's go visit Lake Placid, New York on a cold February night in 1980, where despite the winter chill, things are definitely heated. <laughs> okay. 
because this is the site of an epic struggle, more than a mere match of skill. We're talking about the 1980 Winter Olympics. Oh! And the event we'll be focusing on is a showdown, and not just any showdown, Ben. We're talking the USA versus USSR, which at that time was still the thick of the Cold War. Whoa. And so, imbued with all of that tension, we'll witness an underdog ice hockey team facing off against opponents who are seasoned professionals for a match that would go down in history as the miracle on ice. Whoa. Okay. This is this whoa. So you talked about sports, and I was like, this is a perfect lead-in. You didn't know it, but you kind of set it up great. This is huge. So listeners have heard us for months feign our way through trying to understand sport ball. By looking on my sheet, this is going to be episode 16. We've done comics. We've done books. We've done movies. We've done TV. We've done toys. We're going to do a sport thing? This is big. I'm putting on my cleats. I'm polishing my football. Uh, I'm practicing my backswing, and I'm getting ready to tee up this. That's everything you need, right? In hockey, those are all used in hockey? Yes, because we know things. (laughs) (laughs) So, we'll be covering that game and all of the packed history it contains next time, Ben, on 80s High. Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical.